cool. Um, well, thanks for, for coming out this morning and uh, making this a, a priority uh, to be here. Um, Kirk's just handing out little chocolate hearts, uh, just something tangible for you to take away. You can eat them if you want to eat them now, but uh, just something that just reiterates really what this is about um, and being wholehearted. Uh, and so over each of these sessions, the three sessions on family dynamics, we're going to break things into two parts. First part, we'll be talking about what does it really mean to be wholehearted in our approach and our relationship with Him and one another. And then there'll be sort of practical things that we'll discuss in the second half. And today it'll be like a Q&A. And so if you have questions uh, that you'd like to ask uh, in relation to um, this thing on wholeheartedness and uh, depending on where you're at today uh, in your relationship with him and, and whether you are married or not or you know single, um, then have think about the questions that you may want to ask. One of the things that I was thinking about and one of the things that people ask me a lot is this whole thing on being unequally yoked. And there may be a question you want to ask about that. What does it really mean to be unequally yoked? Because, you know, sometimes we just think, oh, we're Christian and Christian that we, we are equally yoked. But no, not necessarily. And so have a think about the questions that you may want to ask. Some of those questions we may answer and we may choose not to answer uh, because of the question itself. And it may be better to take that outside of a, a room like this and just speak to the person one-on-one, which we will do. And sometimes we won't have answers. And so he is the teacher, he's the master. And within all these questions or discussions or or what we're looking at, um, sometimes there's some real tension with these things because, you know, you can read words on the page, but then it's in relationship that those words come alive. And sometimes things aren't as black and white as you may think they are and may look and uh, that can cause tensions just on its own as we try and answer some of these things from relationship. Saturday's different the cherry tree. Those from the cherry tree. Oh, okay. Three people. Have a listen to this because um, we're in Cherry Tree Park. So Cherry Tree is the business down the end there because um, it's slightly different. So if you... Uh, a wing. Is that, is that a... Mo- anyway, the, the EAB420... Registration, uh, a Honda is HDS129, and a Mazda GKC567. So if you own those cars, could you move them, please, so that you don't get toned? So that's a... What is that? It's a wing road, probably. A what? Wing road. Okay. Never heard of that motor. There you go. So a wing row EAB420, a Honda HDS129, and a Mazda GKC567. Yeah, they're, op- they're open on Saturday, um, so it's not a normal Sunday. But we'll crack on. Um, so, so to just, as we attempt to, I guess what I'm saying, as we attempt to answer these things and some of the questions, um, be open, be open-minded and open-hearted um, because so much is discovered in relationship with him outside of just words on a page. And so often we want to know what's right and wrong because that's easy. Give me the right and the wrong. 
um, but it's in the depth of relationship that you discover his heart. And so that's where we must travel uh, to get a true understanding of, of him and his ways. But um, before we get into it, I just want to pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you this is something on your heart, and family is your design. And Lord, you're building a spiritual family here first and foremost who act as spiritual family, who live as family, who breathe as family. And I thank you, Lord, and I thank you this is found in the depth of relationship with you through the revelation of you within us. The power of that life comes into us that we are enabled then to live it out. And so, Father, as we look today at what it means to be wholehearted, what it means to be wholehearted in our relationship with you and one another. Help us, Lord. Help us bring revelation into us. Bring the living manner of what is shared into our heart and mind that we can see. Lord, sight is so important. If we can see it, we can live for it. If we can hear it, we can know it. And so, Holy Spirit, just reveal the depth of your truth in us this morning that we are and are becoming more and more a family that love you and love one another and live for you and one another as you intend. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to start by just reading this powerful passage, which is in 1 Peter 2, which we've read out, spoken out at times, um, but want to reiterate. And, And everything and every time we come together, the purpose is for transformation. So every time an environment like this, or it's if it's discipleship training, or if it's a Sunday, or if it's during the week in our groups that gather, the whole purpose isn't to have meetings, but the purpose is to meet Him and engage with Him and have Him engage with you, and that you would receive a nugget or nuggets of revealed truth in you. Not just store up information, not that you would know more stuff or know more about him, but you would have knowledge of him, because it is the true knowledge of him in us that changes us. And as we receive that knowledge through the power of the Holy Spirit, like I've been teaching, then that word goes to work in us, and it performs a work in us, which then enables us to live out the reality. So often we ask questions like, well, how do I do this and how do I do that? Because we're looking to figure out how we actually try and fleshly do this thing. But when we receive him and his word and his continuous word, then we actually know how to because the life of that's come in us. The natural response is just to do it because you know how to do it because of the word has done its work. So the question how to doesn't come up anymore because you know how to. Does that make sense? Jesus knew he was a son, so he lived as a son. He never asked his father for how to's. It was the disciples that asked him how to. And he was saying, on the revelation of me, my church is built. And so every time we gather, we gather to receive living manna, which I'm hoping once again you can hear, accept, receive the way it's intended, that it would perform a work in us who believe. So we leave going altered, knowing more of him, more of power, more of the word to be able to now live that out. Um, And so often we know how to do this in the physical, but when it comes into the reality of in him, we struggle. So if I was to say to you, how do you know how to commit to your physical family? You'd all know how to do it, wouldn't you? 
because you're all naturally doing it. But yet we ask those same questions in the spirit and there shouldn't be any difference. So the physical is a type to show you what true spiritual people act like and look like in the physical. Does that make sense? So we know how to do this thing in the physical. Guess what? It's no different in the spirit. We think it is, but it's not. So we look, we think, well, we're looking for something that's beyond what I naturally do. It's not. So you would naturally lay your life down for your children. Well, that's how you naturally lay your life down for your family. So there is no difference. It's the same thing. And that's where we can get confused because we're looking for something that just is. Does that make sense? So simple, we miss it. (laughs) And that's what Paul said, I'm afraid, or I'm concerned that you've been deceived in the mind from the simplicity and the purity of a devotion to the Lord. You've been robbed of something. You're looking for something that's right in front of you. But you can't see it because you're thinking, that's way too simple. It's in the simplicity. So let me read you this passage because this is who we've been called to be as his people. And this is in 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Powerful, powerful words, aren't they? And those words are to be realized by us right here and here. Those words are to become living. Those words, that declaration that that Peter's writing about, he has a revealed position of those words and he's living for the reality of what he writes because he knows he's been chosen. And he's declaring that we are a chosen race, a holy priesthood. I love these words, a people for God's own possession. For God's own possession. See, these are wholehearted people. And this is what we're going to look at today because it's wholeheartedness that propels you into the living reality of this. It's a wholehearted person that pursues the reality of this. And they come into the reality of this. See, God's looking for a people, not just people who say, I'm a Christian. We can all say that. We can all say, yeah, yeah, I'm a disciple, but there's a standard in which Jesus judges his disciples by, isn't there? He has high expectations for his people, high expectations. But along with those expectations comes his life to say, I'm going to bring you up to that reality. You're not going to discover that on your own. In fact, you won't find it. I'm going to empower you up to the expectation that I hold for you, which is a wholehearted expectation. So that to me is great news because he doesn't leave us me on our own, he's going to do the work to bring us up to the standard that he calls us to live by as his family. It's a high standard to be his family. No matter if you're single, married, married with children, uh, a widow, 
a grandparent, whatever you are, we're all family. We're called to be God's holy possession. And it's our wholeheartedness that defines all the environments that we walk in and the different seasons maybe in our life. And as we know, Paul chose to be single. There's nothing wrong with being single. I'll say this, I say this today with a conviction of my heart, but if something was to happen to Danielle, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't get married again. I'm pretty sure I wouldn't get married again. Why? Because, and hear what I'm saying, I don't need Danielle. I choose to be with Danielle. But I don't need her to be fulfilled. I don't look for for my fulfillment in her. See, the problem is, is when that happens, is that I'm looking for a person to meet my needs. And no person can ever meet my needs. What happens when they don't? I'm disappointed. It's missed expectation. You know, I married you to meet my need. And you're not meeting it today. I might decide to go looking for someone else that can meet my need. You see, good luck. (laughs) Oh, I don't know about that, you know. Thanks very much. There you go. There's someone keep me right in line right there. That's what you call love. (laughs) See, when we're not wholehearted, we can sabotage things. So many people that want to get married who aren't wholehearted, when they get the thing they're looking for, they sabotage it because they're looking for that person to be the thing that fills that void, which only God said is him to fill. So you can actually be married and still not be wholehearted and still looking for your partner, your spouse to fulfill that. Hence, your marriage is struggling because they were never designed to. Same with children. People have children to try and fill a void in their lives. And the child never will. The child was never designed to. And so the parent becomes controlling and the child needs to look like do these things because ultimately the parent starts living their life again through the child. You see that in mother-in-laws who try and actually live their life through their daughter's wedding again because they never got the wedding that they wanted because the parent controlled and told them how the wedding was going to go. And so the mother tries to live their life through the daughter. And it's just sick. And it's no freedom in it. And so it's critical that as a people, no matter whether we are single, married, you know, with kids, all that stuff, that we become wholehearted. Wholehearted is so essential. And I want to just read us some scriptures. um, And we've got some notes that um, you'll get uh, when you leave, because it's really just this down in print, because I tend to jump around a bit, as most of you know. Um, And sometimes I don't even say what's on here. But here's just some questions for, it says, what does it mean to be wholehearted? What does it mean to be wholeheartedly abandoned to Christ and his will? Some powerful questions. What does it mean to be wholehearted? And what does it mean to be wholeheartedly abandoned to Christ 
and his will. Because that's who we're to be living for, yes? Jesus was the model. Father, I've come to do your will. I don't exist. I'm not here to do my will. I'm here to do your will. Paul said, for the love of Christ controls us. I no longer live. I no longer live for me, but I live to do the will of the Father. I live by faith in the Son of God. And so the people of God who are called to be wholehearted in his own possession don't live for themselves. They're not called to live for what they want. That's why he tells us and teaches us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. To seek first him before you ever think about entering into any other relationship in the physical, seek first me. So as that work starts to happen in your heart, seek first the building of the kingdom of God within you. My life being formed and established within your heart and mind. Seek that reality. So when you enter into other relationships in the physical, you will bring a wholeheartedness to it. You bring a whole person to it. Not a half-hearted person looking to get their needs met through others, but you are complete in me. I have your whole heart. So you're not going to give your heart away. That's what the world teaches, isn't it? Find a person to give your heart to. The movies. You had me at hello. I obviously didn't have Vera at hello. <laughs> I'm still working on Vera. <laughs> but, see, we, we, we live in a culture, we live in a world that is completely opposite to the kingdom of God. It's completely the upside-down pattern. It says, go find a person, give your heart to the person, put your trust in that person, and then maybe out of that relationship will come little people, so give your heart to them and live your life through them, and it's all sick, and it's all lustful, and it causes chaos and bondage. And yet, as his people, we can buy into that, because that is of the natural order. That's how we're naturally going to live, because that's who we are without Christ. So that's why people are so infatuated with finding a person and having kids, because that's of the natural way. Can you hear what I'm saying? So even though God designed all these things, the fall poisoned us and realigned us for a wrong way, and now we live according to the flesh. And so when Christ comes in through his power and continually refines and renews our mind, he wants to bring us from that reality, which we all think is normal, but it's not, and bring us into normality, the way he sees and he lives. This is bondage. This is freedom. And you, I, look, Danny and I, we see it. Or we see it. And I see it. And I've, and I've seen it. Continue to see it. Little people ruling the roost. In the relationship, it's sick. There's no freedom in it. Fear, control, bondage. And yet Jesus said, I've given you all this for life and freedom. But not defined through him gets us in trouble. And we end up sabotaging the thing God has given us. So he says, church, 
Seek first me. Seek first me and my ways. So as you start to add other things to you, there is life. Absolute life. Not bondage. And my righteousness, that one gets left off. My righteousness, live the way I lived. Look at my life and model your life on my life. For Jesus said, my family are those that do the will of my Father. They're not my natural physical bloodline. They may become it, but just because they are bloodline doesn't mean they are it. That's a different order, isn't it? It's a completely different way. And we know how to live in the physical. We do it really well. I know how to protect my children, support my children, live for my children, my wife, do the things that God has... I know how to do that. But do I know how to do it when it comes to this family? Because there is no difference. So he says, he calls me actually to a higher standard. He says, would you love my family, not your bloodline, but my family, as I love you, Greg? Can you love them with a love that always hopes, always believes? Are you laying your life down for those that are not even from your bloodline? See the standard that we're called to? He says, now I'm going to fill you with my power and my life so you're able to. And I'm going to do that for everybody else that chooses me and my will. And you will become wholeheartedly mine. And then a world and a church would see a church that truly reflects This is how you get John 17, where Jesus says, if there is a church that is one on the earth, the world will know that I was sent for them. That's a powerful, powerful people, isn't it? No longer living for the mode of flesh, the bloodline, but living in the power of the Holy Spirit. So listen to some of these scriptures. This is Numbers 14, 24, and I'll pull a little bit of things out from here, um, but I'm going to fly because I, I do want to stick to time. Numbers 14, 24. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. So you've got to be wholehearted to come into the land. Down here in the physical, what is the land today? What is the land today in the spirit that God wants to bring his people into? Because it's not that we go dominate Kapiti or take over Napier or Auckland. (laughs) Everyone's getting out of Auckland. Cost too much to live there. So what is this in the spirit? Yes, they entered into a physical land. Well, some did and some didn't. And what enabled Caleb to enter into the land? And as we know, I'm going to read another one from Numbers. Man, those were some dire consequences for not being wholehearted. Still his people didn't enter into the land. But what is this land today? Because there is a land to be occupied. There is a land. It's called my heart. Okay? So Caleb had a different spirit. That's interesting, isn't it? He was different to everyone else. 
He lived different, thought different, acted different. How many went into the promised land? How many went in? But how many went? Sorry, who? Yeah, how many went into the land and then came out and gave a report? Twelve. How many actually entered? Odds aren't great. <laughs> Two out of twelve. That's the pattern of scripture, guys. It is the pattern. Many are called, but actually only few choose the path of the narrow path. The few are few. Because the call to wholeheartedness is a high call. It requires letting go of one's own desires, will, what you dream we're going to be. Right from the age of five, I thought I was going to be X. Really? Where'd you get that from? Well, that was from me and my parents because you know what? They weren't wholehearted and they were trying to live through me. So they told me I was going to be a doctor. So I became a doctor. But I didn't really want to be a doctor. I wanted to live for Jesus, but I couldn't live for Jesus because I grew up in this environment where everyone wasn't not wholehearted. And... Let me read this, Numbers 32, 10 to 12. The Lord's anger was aroused that day, and he swore this oath. He swore this oath because they have not followed me wholeheartedly. Not one of those who were 20 years old or more when they came up out of Egypt will see the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not one except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, son of Nun. For they followed the Lord wholeheartedly. Come follow me. Who heard that? Who's hearing that? It isn't just, oh yeah, once, it's a come follow me. And where we're going, wholeheartedness is required. Before you look at any of these other things that are from me, but can cause you to get entangled, seek first me, my way. Let me be in your heart, all of me. Mark twelve twenty eight to 30. Can you see how the, what I'm about to read makes sense now? One of the scribes came and heard them arguing and recognized that he had answered them well, asked him, what commandment is foremost of all? Jesus answered, the foremost is, once again, hear. Spoke that last Sunday. Don't listen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And with all your strength, all in the Greek means all. <laughs> Mark ten twenty eight to 31, Peter began to say to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, listen to this, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children of farms, along with persecutions, and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last shall be first. See, the things that we're trying to hold on to, God will actually give back to us, once we let go of them. But we try and hang on to them and bargain with him 
And he goes, you can't bring those things with you. But Lord, they're of you. Yes, they are, but you're defining them. So you need to give them back to me. Marriage, children, possessions, money, everything that comes from him, for they all come from him, don't they? There is nothing wrong with the things that are from him. What's wrong is this heart and this mind. So he says, give them back to me so I can define them so you don't define them in your heart and they don't become idols in your heart which prevent you from following me wholehearted for those things have your heart and then I will redefine them and give them back to you. Now you can have them but no longer they define you and you hold them like that. So whether you have them or not, you really don't care because you found a measure of Christ that fills your whole heart. Does that make sense? Oh, and by the way, you can have this back and that back, but those people and those things are no longer holding you. See, Jesus came to bring us into freedom and to maintain us in freedom. We don't realize this. We think he came to be a killjoy. We think sometimes that he came to rob us of fun. Anyone being killed by your fun? Only me. <laughs> Anyone hurt a whole lot of other people through your fun? Oh, you say that, eh? Oh, let me live the way I want to live as long as I don't hurt anybody. Anyone been able to live that out? No. It's good old wisdom of the world. No one can live it, but we preach it and we believe it. It's rubbish. This is the truth. His ways are the truth. And he says, be wholeheartedly mine then I will put in you my desires for you, which you'll now be able to live out and walk out without them strangling you and you killing others and strangling others. And by the way, you could be persecuted. See, the church is to be a persecuted church because it lives different to the world. If the church isn't being persecuted, guys, I'm going to tell you the truth, we're probably not being the church. The church I read about is persecuted for their faith, because they live different. They live to a higher standard and they try and model a higher standard and only family members don't understand this. I'm talking about Christian and non-Christian because those people are trying to hold people back because of insecurity and fear. And that's why no physical relationship can have your heart because if you've given your heart to a physical person, the chances they can hold you back. And we're all supposed to be walking in oneness together because we've given our entire heart to him. So you can be in bondage to your own family. You can be in bondage to your wife. Wife can be in bondage to her husband, to the children. Yet these things are of the Lord. How can such beautiful things of the Lord hold us in bondage? Because we haven't given our whole heart to him and we're defining these things. We've told him how it's going to be basically. Let me read you Luke nine fifty seven to 62. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow 
and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Excuses keep you out. There's always going to be excuses. There's always going to be something that comes up. In fact, you've got an adversary who's going to put things in your path to keep you in excuses. Your flesh will as well. But this and but that and but this. The invite went out, but I just bought a new tractor. (laughs) Well, would you rather be at the king's table or would you rather sit in your tractor plowing your fields? But I just got married. Yep, so what? Can you see wholehearted? That's a wholehearted passage right there. But what about this? But that sounds so cold. Are you cold-hearted? You could read that and say, Jesus was cold-hearted. Can I go bury this and bury that? Now, we can go into that stuff, but I don't want to get caught up in the context of all that. But ultimately, the point is this. Are we wholeheartedly abandoned to him? And does that define how we live our lives? Here's a point that I've come up with. The key to coming into Christ's abundant life within us is in the giving of our whole heart. The key to coming into Christ's abundant life within us is the giving of our whole heart. The land, the promised land is your heart. Spiritual landscape. How much of Christ has your spiritual landscape? Have you given your heart away to one, two, three? Some people give their heart and their heart is broken. Let me read you Isaiah 61.1. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is about Jesus. And he proclaimed this in Luke. Because the Lord has anointed me. What for? To bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. See, we think broken-hearted people are just people that have had their hearts smashed because they've lived a, a life of whatever, drugs and alcohol and prostitution, whatever, sex and just whatever, been smashed. No, no. If our hearts aren't whole, we're broken-hearted because our hearts are divided. So Jesus came to heal all the divided hearts on the planet. So if you've given your heart away, you've got a broken heart because it's a half heart. It's not a whole heart. That's what a whole heart looks like. A half of that would be to break it in half, wouldn't it? That's not a whole chocolate. That's half a chocolate. If I broke that into a quarter, that's a quarter of a heart. What if I broke it into a sixteenth? So if you look at your heart today, is it whole? Is it wholeheartedly his? Because Jesus came to heal and bind up the broken Hearted. A broken heart is a divided heart. Where your treasure is, finish that one for me. What does that really mean? It means what you truly love, you your heart is found there. I used to think it was the other way around. I never read it properly. I just think where the heart is, there your treasure is. No, no, it says where your treasure is, what you truly love. There you will find the heart. So there's beautiful grace, there's beautiful love, there's mercy to cover us. 
And it's there to propel us into being wholeheartedly people, isn't it? Unto him. Why? Because remember what 1 Peter said? You've been chosen to be God's possession. Jesus is marrying a wholehearted bride. I remember the father revealing this to me six years ago, and I was sitting on the couch. He said, son, he said, would you marry Danielle? If as she walked down the aisle and you looked at her, she said, Greg, I actually love your brother more than you. He said, would you have married her? I said, no. He said, so why would I want to marry a a church that tells me the same thing? See, we've created this ultimately a lie to satisfy ourselves, to make us feel good, that it's okay for me to do what I want, live the way I want. He loved me unconditionally and there's no consequences. It's a lie. There are consequences. The Bible screams at us the consequences. The other red letters that the lion preaches, not the lamb, scream consequences towards us. Yes, his love is unconditional. Yes, his grace is always going to be there. Yes, all those things for the purpose of change. If you don't change, he's still going to love you, but don't expect to receive what was promised you. See, once again, we pattern that in the physical, don't we? We, we, we know these things in the physical. My daughters are not going to get the reward of their behavior doesn't align. It's an idiot that rewards bad behavior, isn't it? Because you reinforce the bad behavior. The child goes, that's fine. Oh, okay, it's okay to smash the vase over Madeline's head because my dad said it was okay because he rewarded me for the behavior. Where do you think that comes from? His design. He's no different. And the scripture teaches us as if we actually have eyes to see what the scripture is saying. If you love someone more than me, you're not worthy of me. If you do not hate your brother, your mother, your father, or you're, you're not worthy of me. So he's looking for this wholehearted person. Jesus came to bind up the brokenhearted so we could love him with all, our whole, our entire, our everything. Is that clear? Right, come with me to John 2. John 2, 23. So once again, this morning, I don't think I'm preaching anything I haven't spoken, but I may have used different words to say it. I may have used different scriptures to explain it. But ultimately, it's the same message that Jesus has been speaking here for six years. And that is the pattern which Jesus taught. He repeated himself continuously. The kingdom's like this, it's 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 like that. He was continually saying the same thing because he knew within himself is where all the wisdom and the treasures lay. Because once again, this isn't about storing information. This is about receiving living manna that changes you and I. So then we're able to live out what he calls us to live out. We're able to actually love one another like like Christ loves me. Such a beautiful thing to have that level of love in your heart, where it's not defined by physical relationships. It's not even defined by knowing the person. Do you realize that? God has no favorites. So the more wholehearted we are, we enter into this land, which is the abundant life of Christ within you and I in our heart, a love, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. You have gentleness and kindness for people. 
not your ability to create it. Him in you is the hope of glory. For I am pregnant again until Christ is formed within you. Why? So you can live like Christ. Not many gods, but you can live like the Son lived. Walk in the manner in which he walked. 1 John 2, 6. You meaning to tell me, Lord, that the church can minister God's love to the world and one another? Yes, son. You meaning to tell me, Lord, that the church can minister the grace of God to the world? Yes, son. For the manifold wisdom of God would come through the church and that the heavenly realm would be in awe of what the church is living. Do the angels long to know what God has given the church to come into? Is the church the saints to judge the world? Who is this church, man? Who is it? Who are these people that have been called to be a chosen race, a holy priesthood, a consecration unto God? It's you and I. No, rubbish. It's you and I, God's people, who are wholeheartedly abandoned to him, that will follow him wherever he goes, no matter what the cost, for where are we going to go? Because I found the answers to life, Peter said, and although it gets bad, although I might be persecuted, although I might have to actually be crucified for my faith, there is something greater on the inside of me that you've brought me into because my heart is now wholeheartedly yours through the power of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and now I can live for you and model and be the demonstration of what you said we're called to be. Church isn't about coming to a building That's an institutionalized mindset that robs the church of who the church is called to be. The church are God's people. And we are called to be the demonstration of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not many gods. And it's going to take every bit of belief in him of what I just said for that to be realized by us. Because some of you are looking at me cross-eyed right now going, I don't even believe that. Well, see, it was unbelief that kept the Israelites out of the land. It was disobedience that kept them out of the land, wasn't it? And only two people entered in to the reality. And look, it wasn't even that. Everyone that was there, family members, were not allowed in. You see how one decision you make can affect not just physical family members, but everybody. That's why we can't live separate because our decisions we make as individuals affect the whole. See, when you're not wholehearted, that that posture affects the whole because half-hearted, an eighth-hearted, a sixteenth heart, a thirty-second heart, a whole heart walk through that door and enter into something we're supposed to be praising him, but you've got all that divided heart in the room. What would happen if 250 whole hearts walked into the room. For if you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. See this partnership between us and him? We have a role to play. We have a very, very important role to play. We must know our role so we don't start playing his role. But you know where it starts? It starts in this passage. And I'm going to read this to you. This is in John 2, 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem, Jesus, at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs which he was doing. That's easy to do, isn't it? Okay, That's the easy part. It's easy to believe in his name. It's easy to believe in the signs he did because that doesn't require anything from us. 
Okay. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. Great. Yeah. Whoa, I believe he does miracles. Awesome. Yeah. Are you going to live for him? Come back to me on that one. I've got to pray on that. Oh, okay. Yeah, I believe, I believe, I believe. Great. Now, what does that look like worked out? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You're a bit religious, a bit legalistic. No, no, no. What does it look like lived out? Easy to give lip service. Easy to agree mentally to a principle, isn't it? Yes, we believe this set of doctrines. Great. What does it look like lived out? Because ultimately, if it's not lived out, you don't believe it. But here's the key in verse 24. But Jesus. Okay, so you've got all these people giving him accolations. You've got all these people worshiping him. You've got all these people going, wow, who is this? Is this the son of man? Is this the prophet? Is this the one that was proclaimed in the years gone by? Who is this? So imagine that he's got all these people in awe of him. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them. For he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. Who are you entrusting yourself to? Because this question will bring you into life. If you will answer it and allow him to move through the process with you, who are you actually entrusting your life to? You? Other people? Your job? Your finances? Your need to be liked? See, Jesus, he's got all those people in awe of him. But he ain't entrusting himself to them. He's entrusted himself to the one who will never, never let him down. What happens if he's entrusted his heart to Peter? And Peter denies him. What happens to us when people break our trust, when you've entrusted your heart to people? Who else breaks? What are you not able now to do? If you've got broken, you're certainly not able to minister the love of the Father because you're just as broken as the person that's broken your trust. Do you know we're called to? Because that's the model Jesus pattern. See, when I say where does this go in the demonstration, it goes to where Jesus went and what Jesus patterned. See, when you're entrusting your heart to people and they break your trust, you break. We're not called to entrust our heart to people. We're called to entrust our heart to the Father. Why? So when people break your trust, you can love them. And you can restore them. What would this look like in a marriage? What would this actually look like in a Christian marriage where two people, where one has stepped out, maybe committed adultery, maybe done some things, and they weren't entrusting their hearts to one another, and one person, the husband or the wife, says, you know what? I'm going to forgive that and I'm going to love you back to restoration in the hope that I would love you into submission to the Father. Do you know it's fully possible? But is it being demonstrated and modeled? 
Can you see the enormity of the demonstration that we are called to be? That we are the people that actually are able to love like this. Now here, I'm not talking about if you're in a relationship where you are being physically abused. I'm not saying you've got to stay in there and suck it up for Jesus, okay? There's wisdom in all this. But what I'm trying to communicate is that if we have entrusted our hearts to people, doesn't matter who it is, children, work colleagues, if our identity and our purpose and our function is in other people or in stuff, when those things break, shift, stop, we go with them. We go flying with them. But we're supposed to be standing there because our identity and who we've entrusted our hearts to, my heart is not given to my wife. My heart does not, my wife does not have my heart. My children do not have my heart. My mum and dad, dad's passed away now. My mum doesn't have my heart, neither my brothers. The Lord Jesus Christ has my whole heart. He has it. It's the safest, greatest place to put it. I'll never leave you, son. I'll never forsake you. There's nothing that can separate you. Can you see the scriptures coming alive now? And the realization when you have come to a place where you're in the scriptures, when the scriptures are your reality, you're living from the scripture, the living scripture. It's no longer just words on a page. It's become your reality because you were on a commitment to be wholeheartedly abandoned to him. Because you said, I'm prepared to have a look at my heart today and go, my goodness, I've got my wife, my kids, my sport, my money. I've got four things. My heart is a divided heart, and it's broken into four pieces, and the Lord's not even in that picture. I give him lip service, but he's nowhere near there. These are the things that I truly treasure, so my heart is truly there. But that is robbing me for this life I've been called to live and this land that I've been called to come into, which is an abundant life in my heart. For rich young ruler, you lack one thing. What did he lack? So he tried to keep all the commandments, not all of them, he kept some of them. And he had wealth and he had money, he had all these things, but he said, you lack one thing. The one thing he lacked is that his heart was not the Lord's. And that's what God was pressing on that day. See, it wasn't that he was a rich man that kept him out of the kingdom. We think in just terms of physical, material wealth, he was rich in spirit. He was a man that had built his life on himself. He was your modern-day Donald Trump. And so because he's so rich in his spirit, he's so proud, it's very hard for a proud man to enter into the kingdom of God to receive the fullness of life. And we're either going to be pride-filled or humble in spirit. And when you don't entrust your heart to the Lord, ultimately you're a person of pride because you're saying, God, I can do a better job with my heart. We don't think of it like that way, but we are. There's only two, spirit of pride, spirit of humility. So to not let go and to stay in control of your life is to live from a spirit of pride because you're saying, God, you, I can't trust you enough. Can you hear what I'm saying? You're still on the throne in certain areas. And Jesus knew what was in man. See, I know the potential in my wife, good and bad. And she knows the potential in me. If I give my heart to Danny, she has the potential to break it. She has the potential because there's a flesh and spirit war going on to actually break my heart. Hence, she doesn't have it. 
Hence, I'm able to love and she's able to love me unconditionally. Because it's not dependent on her behavior. My love isn't dependent on whether she does what I want her to do or not. It just is because it's the love of the Father. I'm grateful that the love of the Father for me isn't dependent on my behavior. If it was, I'm not even standing here today. I'm not a follower of Jesus. If it was dependent on my behavior, my behavior was shocking. From 21 to 29, it was shocking. Promising him the world, delivering on none. I don't have a great track record with the Lord, but that doesn't define his love for me. And when that love came, and it came in power and grace and mercy, and it was realized because I received it through the power of the Holy Spirit, my whole heart, my heart became whole in a moment in time. Not because of me, but because of receiving him. And this is what I'm preaching on Sunday, to receive the Lord brings wholeheartedness. It's the word of God that does the work of transformation that brings you and I into wholeheartedness. We can't go here and please do not leave this room going, right, I've got to figure out how I be wholehearted. I'm going to get rid of all these things. I'm going to reach into my heart. I'm going to pull them all out. I'm going to try and do this physically. It'll be a bit messy. I'm going to lay down on the altar and cut myself. No, no. It's to acknowledge that I'm not wholehearted. Repent. Allow the love of God to show you and shine into your heart and go, it's okay because his love is covering. And then say, Father, give me a desire and a passion for your word, your son, and your son's words. And Holy Spirit, reveal the words of Christ in my heart that would bring me into wholeheartedness. For the son has come to heal the brokenhearted, to bind it up. It's done through the power of God. It's not done through my ability to change. All I have to do is surrender and have faith and move towards the reality. I can do certain things. That is to move towards the reality. I may have to discipline myself to start meditating in the Word. I may have to discipline myself to actually start to enter into a relationship. So I can do certain things, but what I cannot do is the work of transformation. He says, that's my role. And if you seek me with all your heart, soul, mindset, you will find the reality and I will do it. Why? Because I've chosen you to be my possession, a consecrated holy nation who will rule the world for a thousand years with me at some point in time when I return. And you will judge the world. And you will sit next to me on my throne. And the overcomer's promises will be your reality, not just stay in a book that sits on a shelf and I believe in my head intellectually, but I never actually actualize and realize the fullness of what was there. Wholeheartedness is the key. A wholehearted pursuit, a whole mind pursuit of him brings you and I into this land. Amen. So this is how we're going to do it. We've got a couple of questions that we're going to start with. Are we listening? Instructions important. Good. Well done, Anne. Um, so we've got a couple of questions that we're going to start with. Um, and then uh, we'll just take questions from the floor. So Rochelle has a microphone. So uh, maybe just put your hand up if you wanted to ask a question after we've um, attempted to answer uh, these two questions. 
and then we'll just do our best uh, with the wisdom that we have as a combined group. Um, and look, there may be someone here who um, has some insight into it as well, because certainly this is what the church is about. So, and as I said, you know, some of the questions that I get asked, uh, please, I might say, you know, we'll take that one and just talk about it individually, because uh, it may not be something that we want to answer um, with this many people here, and sometimes, you know, depending on uh, our maturity levels and our ability to truly hear, we can cause people confusion and also cause people to stumble as well. So we don't want to do that. And so some areas are a bit more sensitive than others. So we'll just feel our way through that. Um, and also knowing, like I said at the start, that you know it's, it's not as easy as just black and white. Even though God is black and white and he has his ways, um, a lot of those ways I've discovered are found in relationship, which causes tension for people who are very heavily, the words don't say that. And so, um, you know, the word Trinity is not in the Bible, but we use it to describe a reality. And so uh, what I'm not saying is we create our own truth. So please hear what I'm saying. At the same time, it's very hard just to give black and white answers because I don't think it is, although it is at times, if that makes sense. So I'll just confuse you right now. So when the answers come out confused, you'll go, oh, that's what he was talking about. Anyway, so um, I'm just going to read this uh, question out, and then um, I'm going to ask Sandra to start. Let me just move back a bit. Okay, let me find where it starts. Um, so this, the, the question was all about being in, in relationships. Um, I'll just read this. I've been in relationships which have been done the world's way with the selfish mentality, try before you buy, which has led to destruction of myself and the person I was involved with. So should I find myself in a relationship in the future, I long for it to be done in a way that not only honors him, but also the man that I'm beginning a relationship with. The more I think about it, I think my question is both spiritual and physical. So I would like to know what is his way. How do you ensure that a relationship between a man and a woman is built on a foundation of Christ? How does a man and a woman honor God with their own hearts while pursuing a relationship together? And what physically does this process look like? And that would include spending time together, accountability, praying for the person that their foundation is God and he is before anything else in their heart, etc. So it's quite a, yeah, there's quite a lot in there. At the same time, it sort of is one position to which some of it I hope was answered in what I just shared. Um, at the same time, we're going to attempt to, to give some nuggets uh, that can help with this as well. So I'll pass it over to Sandra. I love the tone of that question because I can hear a heart that just loves God and longs to live um, for him totally. Um, and in that, I think you've got, you're there. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, because the, you know, if there was, if there was one thing that God showed me um, um, before 
I, we, Chris and I got married, um, he really showed me very clearly that I needed to be able to live with just him and no one else quite happily before I was ready to be married. So, so that aspect of wholeness in that he completed me, that I was complete in him, whatever way you want to put it in, that that was settled, that was absolutely um, there before there was anything. And um, the, the thing is, it, the, it, you can't say it looks like this or it looks like that. People have got living testimony of the very different ways that God leads them into um, a godly relationship. Um, for Chris and me, we didn't actually go out. We, um, our relationship was built as a really strong best friends. That's what it was, and it and it happened um, in really because we were doing music together, we were praying together, we were um, using our music um, to to help others. Um, and we were separated by um, a strip of water called the Cook Strait, and there was lots of letter writing happening. It was back in the day. <laughs> um, letters are awesome um, when you're really getting to know somebody. But honestly, there wasn't any even thought of any other relationship. It was it, it actually was built on friendship. And, and doing something together. And, and that had happened for quite some time before God started leading us in, in both of us. And, and that was tested and helped by older, mature Christians um, before I got the phone call one morning and he said, I believe you're the one for me. And I just, I didn't remember anything else after that. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> So that, that's our personal story, but that's not to say that's the way it happens. It's just um, that was partly because in my heart there'd been a cry a few years before, let the person, you know, let me not go out with anyone and invest myself in someone unless it goes into marriage because of experiences I'd had. And, and that was, so that was my heart cry, you know, and thank you, Lord, that he answered that. Um, but there were some, um, when I was um, a really young Christian, um, I remember having um, some just sound fatherly advice from um, a, a dear man who lives for God. And it stuck with me, and I thought I would share what I can remember of those pieces of information. And he was he was really saying, look, in a relationship, I, I want you to consider these as being um, helpful things, and I think they're guidelines that can help um, avoid common pitfalls. So I will share that. So... The first thing was to um, establish friendship within a group, mostly in the, in the first instance and in most instance, so that there's this group sense rather than instantly this two thing. Continue healthy relationships outside of the couple so you don't get very exclusive. 
Walk humbly with mature Christ lovers who can speak into your life and relationships. So literally walk alongside and be open and honest at every point um, rather than hiding that back. Because, see, all of those, are they are going to come out of wholeheartedness. A wholehearted person's not going to want to, to hold it, things back. Um, they're going to want them to be surrendered. So all, all of what um, Greg has been sharing is, is the work inside of us that would produce this anyway. But they are helpful. Um, keep open about your relationship, not hidden or secret. Um, and these two questions I also thought were quite important. Does this relation deepen, deepen my relationship with God or draw me into God or does it draw me away? And the second one was, as far as God has led us in our individual futures, are they going in the same direction? Um, so those, I think, are, are really um, the things that helped me. And like I say, it's, that's just a little bit of a testimony. And I think it's kind of good in this environment of spiritual family that we are able to share um, where we've been, where we're going, and what we're doing, and actually walk together. Um, and, and that's the whole thing of coming together like this, is that it's not, that this is just one aspect, and everybody's got different situations. But if we can walk together and draw from each other, all with this commonality of coming as wholehearted to him, you know, and, and we want to walk with him in honesty. So that's, that's my two cents there. There's one other thing. Sorry. <laughs> there's one little scripture. I'm just going to throw this out there and let you discover this. But there's one little scripture in Song of Solomon 2 verse 7. And it says, do not arouse or awaken love before it so desires. He spoke to me about that, about the whole physical aspect. That there is a safe place. And he has designed it that way. And so... There is wisdom, and I can testify that there is a fullness of beauty of his design. And if we don't jump the gun, it's a beautiful thing. We get to unwrap the Christmas present together with him on Christmas Day. Uh, just think about um, that question that was talking about uh, try before you buy and um, doing things in the ways of the world, and then how does it how do you, if you've come from that, how do you enter into the new? And um, for Mel and I, we'd both come from real messy, messed up relationships and both come to a point of brokenness in our own, like before even meeting each other. And I remember I, I came to this broken point and I said, God, I don't want to waste my time anymore. I don't want to try before I buy. I don't want to muck around. I just want to be led by you. I want to fall in love with you. And the next person that you lead, you bring the whole, you, you bring her before me and I want her to be the one. And um, turns out Mel had done the same. And, uh, you know, we met in our life group and we started spending time together as a group. And um, I remember I was like, how do I bring that up with her? Because that's really awkward, Right? Like to sort of 
to say all of that, and I didn't even know how to say that. And um, anyway, we we spent some time together one night and went to this uh, coffee shop in town. And I'm like, all right, I've got to, like, bring this up. And <laughs> we sit down, and, like, I'm nervous because she's older than me. And, <laughs> and she's super, like, good-looking, and I'm, like, nervous. And we sit down... And I, like, pick up my cup of coffee. It was a hot chocolate back then. Pick up my hot chocolate. And she's like, what's your intentions? I was like, uh, what do you mean? She's like, because I'm not here to muck around. (laughs) She's like... (laughs) And basically, she had gone through the same journey, and we just... We had the awkward conversation together, which wasn't awkward at all, because we'd both come to this point of brokenness both come to this point of we want to put God first no matter what and if you don't want to do the same we're not going to do this and you know it was almost exactly what we'd been praying for and it started everything off on a way better foot than had of like trying not to have that conversation Um, and so you know there was a complete answer to prayer and um and I'm so grateful for that, and I'm so grateful that we were on the same page, that we wanted to put God first, that we didn't want to muck around, and that marriage was the goal. Because often I see with young people that marriage just seems too distant or too scary, but I still want to date. And so I'll just enter into dating without the idea of marriage, and that is just recipe for disaster, especially if it's like, well, I can date you, and then I can date you, and I can date you. It just doesn't doesn't add up. And so having that conversation was the best, yet most awkward, yet um, awesome thing that could happen. Um, I'll, just, I'll just speak a little bit to that as well, because I probably, I think there's dating and dating. So there's nothing, I don't see, and this is where it's quite good, you have this panel sort of approach, that I don't see it's, there's, um, in dating, I see, personally, I see it's okay. But at the same time, there's dating and dating. And so, you know, like to sort of, I think, um, you know, to, to, to it, this is where it becomes this, this individualistic walking out um, that Sandra was talking about. And um, I just think it, it's, it's, yeah, we, we have to let him define it as well and how we walk it out. Um, because there's things like the one as well, you know, the one. There's the one person. I don't believe there is. I believe God may lead you to a person, but he could lead you to that person, that person, that person, that person, because ultimately it's going to be choices that actually keep you in the relationship um, because it's a commitment of choice as well. So... This is where there's all this tension, and I think, um, and I'm not disagreeing with what Kirk said. Um, so it's just the, this is yeah. There's just there's just a lot of tension in this area, and I think this is why churches don't talk about it. Um, but we're committed to talking about it, um, and I think like what was said there, if we walk it out together, that's how we don't get in trouble when it's walked out together and it's open. Um, and this is sort of leads into the next question, which is a great question with no simple answer to it, although we may think there's a simple answer to it. Okay, so it goes like this. Um, 
Here's a question for family dynamics, not related to divorce as a non-believer, but divorce as a Christian. What are the thoughts around whether or not a date, sorry, what are the the thoughts around whether or not to date someone who got divorced as a Christian for reasons other than infidelity? The scriptures seem pretty strong in this area, area. Do they actually mean that people in these circumstances should accept their single status and not look to date, remarry, post-divorce? Okay, and the person's listed some scriptures there where Jesus talks about, you know, if you uh, marry uh, someone that has been married, you commit adultery. And so this is, this is one of these beautiful questions that there is no simple answer to. Um, and as I was trying to say before, I think in the depth of relationship with him, he works things out. Um, I know people who have been Christian that were divorced and are remarried, and God is using them powerfully. And they are in powerful uh, life in Christ, and also is being used to uh, establish his kingdom through. Um, so you've got, there's a scenario there. Do you know what I mean? Um, I think there's issues around what a question, when this question was posed to me and, and, and discussing it with some of the elders because it's, you know, it's, a, it's a hot sort of a question, was what if the person that was, so you get two Christian people that are married, uh, what if the person that you want to, you know, thinking about seeing wasn't the one who wanted to get divorced? So if it was the other person in the, in the marriage that actually wanted to get divorced and separated but the other person didn't, how does that work now, you know, because it wasn't their heart to actually get divorced. Um, so I think, I, I, don't, I don't see this, and I'll, I'll, these guys can speak into this as well, um, I don't see it as a real simple, easy answer. What I do know about him is that he, God is a God of restoration, and he takes our brokenness, and he takes where we're at, and he leads us through his wisdom in trying to create life. Um, and I think the key in all this, like Sandra was saying, is to not walk it out alone and to involve others in it. Um, as some of you know, maybe don't know, that I was married as a non-Christian. So at the age of 24, I got married, married for three and a half years. That ended in divorce. Um, I look at myself now and I go, so yes, okay, I wasn't a follower, but I was married under the Lord. I was married in a building. I swore, took oaths that are biblical, um, and he has restored in the thing that I thought would never happen again, not because I had biblical truth, because I thought no one wanted to marry a divorced person. Um, he has brought around and restored unto new. And for me personally, um, I don't recognize that person that was 24 and got married. It's like that was a good friend of mine. Seriously, it's like it wasn't me. It wasn't part of my, my life, even though I know it was me. So I think there's, there's real tension in all of that. And um, I think ultimately it's, it's outworked in relationship and there's dynamics in it. And every case is different. And that's where I don't think it can be a blanket answer, which I think a lot of the things aren't a blanket answer as well, even like what we just said then, you know. Um, hence, that's where the tension lies because... We tend to want it nice and clear. Um, the, the, the other thing is the context in which the, co- the, the question itself is asked. The question, um, 
when it was asked of Jesus was in the context of testing him and trying to get him to take sides with two strong, opposing um, Hebraic rabbinic um, teachings that were about divorce. And um, the thing that I love when I look at that passage is that Jesus didn't actually go to either camp. He went to the beginning. And here we have in Genesis, before any law or anything like that, we have God's intent for making man and woman and that they would leave and cleave. Um, and so the, the intent for restoration back to the purposes of God to reflect his that pattern which always was going to be speaking of Christ and his church. It was always meant to. So um, the intent of this question um, that was given us, I don't think was in that spirit, in any shape or form. I know it wasn't. Um, And so when there's honest seeking of an answer because of, maybe because of personal circumstance, then that's a thing to walk with people that you're walking with and you're submitting and working things through rather than coming to a positional stand because um, a positional stand, if we, if we um, conduct our lives in that way, all it does is provide, um, provide us opportunities to get on a podium and point fingers at people. And that heart is something that God opposes and I don't want to be part of that. Um, so it, it's, it is really important that the questions can be asked, that, you know, when they honestly need to be asked, and let, let's walk with each other if you find yourself in any of those conditions or things, and, and things are disturbing you or they're questions that you really want settled. Um, so let's walk together with that, eh? Cool. Um, questions? Anybody want to ask another question? That was the first hand I saw. Was there someone over okay, I'll try not to make it too long, and um, it's a bit quite an in-depth thing. So I have a friend who is a lovely Christian lady who um, has been married for a long time. And, but she married a non-believer, and um, the relationship has never been good right from the beginning. So um, he's um, quite emotionally, emotionally abusing. Now, she has become more and more unhappy as time has gone on, and um, but she's... She wants to divorce, but of course, being a Christian and um, believing that you know that, that God um, that marriage is a sacred thing. Um, how do I, as a Christian, how should I encourage her, and in what way should I encourage her? Do I encourage her, yes, to divorce and? Um, to to live on her own. I, she's not a person who will 
want to divorce to find somebody else. So, but I, I can't help but wonder by staying in the relationship, is it harming her relationship with God? Because her whole focus is taken up with um, this bad marriage and all the, um, you know, the emotion that's tied up with it. So, what do I do? Um, once again, I mean, there's you know, there's there's so many tensions and all this and and, and aspects to it. Um, firstly, I would be encouraging her in her relationship with him, um, because all things are possible, and like we talked about, a person that comes into more of him and has him and her, her can actually love unconditionally and now isn't requiring anything from that relationship because they're full in Christ. Um, that's a lovely ideal, but it is the truth. Um, and, you know, I, once again, it's there's just... Um, ultimately, that, that would, that, that's all I sense this year at the moment in that. I think it's just for you, how you play, you can encourage her to in her relationship with him, to be part of something bigger. If she's not in, I don't know if she's in a community, if she's living, okay. So within that, you know, there's a, um, uh, I guess there's so much for us to come into and to be laying our lives down for, which then trump the physical realities we face. And, and you know, it, 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 I mean, I know scripture talks about that, 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 that through a person's, and in the context that is a, as a woman, through the, the context of a woman's relationship with the Lord and her love, it wins her husband. So there's something about that reality that actually awakens the husband from his stupor and he, he is. Um, the, 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 the tension and the challenge is in the abuse aspect. So I don't know how deep that is. I don't know if that's a casual, you know, or if it's really constant, you know, so there's tension there. Um, obviously, the more of him helps that, but while there isn't more of him, the lady's face with that. Um, not knowing the husband, uh, you know, and all that, and, and how he can help for him, do you know what I mean? It, but so it's just so layered, and I, without going further... It's something maybe we could talk about individually, but I think ultimately your your role is to would be this paint a picture of what's possible in Christ and get it and try and encourage you to go for that um, because that is that is the goal. Do you know what I mean? Even though it can sound lofty and. I think ultimately that's how I've been feeling as well, that perhaps I need to encourage her more to um, to focus on her relationship with the Lord and to to look to him for all her needs. Um, and, and you're kind of confirming that rather than um, trying to advise her one way or the other. Yeah. Thanks, Greg. And I think what I've in the grit of that is where life is found. That makes, I think it's in the grit of that very situation that the actual real work is done. Yeah. 
I don't want to sound like young and ignorant, but uh, or naive, but I I believe like God, while He doesn't ordain every, while He doesn't like make everything happen, He allows stuff to happen. So He allowed her to marry him, and I believe we are all meant to be His demonstration, His demonstration, and marriage is like the most intimate relationship. You're in each other's face all the time. And so she has this opportunity to demonstrate Christ to him and has done for her whole life. But also the people that she can get around him can all demonstrate Christ to him. And I've seen marriages where one has come into the love of the father and then that, through the demonstration of her, the husband has now started to engage with us and others that know him and then the husband has actually then given his heart to the Lord. I've seen others where the the wife starts coming. She she had her own thing. She leaves after a year, but her husband's keep coming. And I was like, I thought he was only coming because she was into it. And so the husband actually comes into something that she wasn't in. And my point is that I believe that we can all be God's demonstration and we can all hope for this marriage to come into the fullness that is always intended for marriage and that we can pray and hope for and believe for this marriage to be beautiful. And um, and I think, you know, if we are to be as demonstration, then almost what the world wants of the church to approve of is divorce. That's, you know, like that's the opposite thing of what we're to supposed to stand for. And so to agree for it or encourage it or say, yep, get out. Even though the situation's messy, it just doesn't, like that didn't sit right with me Um, because we're supposed to demonstrate the opposite. We're supposed to demonstrate love and demonstrate perseverance and pointing to Christ. But again, I don't know the situation or the people, so it might be different if I was sitting face-to-face with them. I think just a practical thing sometimes, and... um, that can help is if if she's in community and and this is this is about being spiritual family as opposed to just being in a group with a whole lot of people that come is that it could be an opportunity to invite a couple over for dinner um, and let the male interact with him so some uh, 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 people in the community that might get on with her husband that actually and that couple comes for dinner and through that interaction because it's trying to help him connect with other guys as well that sees this reality that sees guys who are different and if there's something like on a, on a, a passion level, golf or sport or, so if she knows someone in her community friends that can come over and just have dinner you know, and then actually help with that connection so he can see a, a, a man who's a follower of Christ that he goes, oh, okay, you know, so that can help in shifting things as well Um, my question was uh, based around conflict. Um, where does conflict come in, uh, like when you argue and fight with people, um, to like the relationship of like trying to, do you avoid it and try and keep the peace or that kind of thing? You know what I'm asking? <laughs> what, what would um, just help us, what would be the context be? Is this in a friendship um, is this in a like a, a male female sort of relationship? So it's in a male female relationship. Okay. So dealing with conflict 
answer because it, it'll do that anyway. I think, okay, I'll start. I think, once again, if you, if you open this up from just in, a, in, a, in a, um, a relationship between a male and a female, we're called to be peacemakers. Okay, so peacemakers make peace where there is no peace. And so that's, once again, is a higher calling. It's a higher order. You know, the easiest thing is to be a peacekeeper, which is what I call PC Christianity. We just suck it up and uh, we hide it away and then it implodes, I don't know, half an hour down the, the track. So I think, I think once again, um, the easiest thing to do is to back away from conflict. But if we really want to be one, and once again, I mean, this is, you know, like, if you put that into a marriage context, you know, if you put it, it's like the, the purpose of marriage is oneness. So in a relationship, in relationships in the body of Christ, the purpose is oneness. So if you avoid conflict, there's no oneness. And, it's, and oneness is found in the working out. You know, so Jesus came into the darkest place called the Sanhedrin and stood there and promoted life and truth and was a peacemaker. And it actually says that peacemakers are the sons of God. And so it's this whole thing. You know, Jesus also said, you've heard it said... Um, you know, love your, love your, love. Uh, sorry, hate your enemy, love your neighbour. But I tell you to to love both and pray for both, for they are the sons of God. So we are to be peacemakers. Um, it doesn't mean that peace is made, because for true peace to be made, two people need to come to the understanding of what that was about. But to avoid conflict is just dangerous, and you don't avoid anything. It just sitting there ready to happen again. Um, and when the goal is oneness and spirit, we have to go there. And so, it, um, yeah, in his leading and all that, but it's about going there um, for, the, for the sake of true oneness is what Jesus prayed for. So to avoid it or not go there means you're going the opposite direction of where you've been called, but it does mean you might get your head knocked off. <laughs> um, Hence, he says to love your enemies, and you're going to be persecuted for living for righteousness. Do you know what I mean? So just suck it up. It's the way in which the son lives. <laughs> um, I would add to that that um, if conflict is only coming up in heated moments of anger, sometimes it's wise to deal with the conflict when the anger has calmed down a little. I think you don't avoid the conflict, definitely don't avoid it, but if it's just done out of um, a, a, a just anger all over the place, um, it likely is um, going to do quite a bit of damage um, so there is a bit of wisdom as to when you might approach. If there's something that is needing to be talked through, for instance, you know, there's just basic common sense that you don't leave it till 10 o'clock at night when everyone's absolutely wet and or when you've only got five minutes to sort it or do you know what I mean? Just sort of basic good common sense. But um, things need to be worked through. But there are keys to... Um, 
put you in a position where you're more likely to come into um, a, a conflict resolution because it, it's always to do with restoration and some conflicts present themselves as it's about winning an argument and that's a different thing to this conflict that is something that needs to be resolved um, because if it's just about winning an argument, no one is going to win and everyone's just going to separate out and, and cause problems and, um, and don't let things sit. Um, you know, the old don't let the sun go down on your anger is probably quite a good um, thing to keep in mind as well. <laughs> um, just a tiny little thought is that um, perfect love casts out all fear and that conflict often happens because there's fear involved, there's stuff that's not dealt with. Um, and when that stuff is dealt with, when God's perfect love speaks into that situation, the conflict gets resolved and we can embrace the conflict, we can wade into it because our, we're not afraid of, of what's going to happen because we're not there, we are somewhere else, we're operating on a different level. Is it another question? Okay. Just to add to this as well, just with everything you're hearing, please don't race off and then go, I'm going to apply some of this stuff. So, so then take it into the discipleship or people you know you're walking with. Because once again, we don't have your context. So you could hear something and go, they said this. And we're going, whoa, hold on. If we'd known that, then it would have been a different thing. So make sure with what you're hearing, you're actually doing what Sandra says and put it in front of people that you trust and walk with. So there's accuracy of action because I've seen that happen. They all said it was okay to jump into bed with that person. You're like, how did you get that from that? Um, Kristen, yeah, Mike, Kristen. Hello. This is a question for Steph. (laughs) (laughs) Steph, um, what's your journey been on this process, and how's God um, changed your mindsets about marriage and being single? what happens when you walk with people really closely is they just know the buttons um I suppose I just want to do say that I'm up here to represent all the single ladies I think there's a dance that goes with that um (laughs) I think um just hearing Greg talk this morning about wholeheartedness and thinking about where he's brought me and where he's taken me from um, and the journey to being single and to being okay with being single has, it's the same journey. Wholeheartedness and being okay with being single are the same thing. Um, and the, you know what, the journey has been for me, it was 30 years. Of, of him walking me through and he's been really faithful in the process and he has known what he's been doing um, even when I didn't know what was going on and I was looking at everything he was saying to me through a lens of, well, I'm getting married. God's like, um, <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> um, so just the life of, of wholeheartedness to him and that like that's a process not all there 
God and me are walking. I'm not dead yet, so there's more to do. Um, but the life of walking into wholeheartedness and that he has done in me, there is so much freedom in what he has done in me and in letting go of of an idol is the only way to describe what I was living in. My desire for marriage, my desire to be accepted, and all everything that's tied up in, in that, that was in the wrong place. That's what I wanted. And God said, I want you. And I will not share you with anyone. He said that to me at 19, at 31. I said, what can I do but say okay? And that was a hard, that was a hard question. In fact, he asked me, do you, do you trust my love for you? And I went, uh, maybe, yes, no, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and like, because you know it in your head, you know God loves you and he wants the best for you. Mm, what you don't want is his best for you to, to be single for the rest of your life, to be at 65 going, where are my kids to look after me? To be watching your friends having babies and going, where's my babies? And he, he, hasn't, he hasn't asked me to do anything other than say yes to him. In fact, the, my breakthrough was in a moment of coming to him and saying, I don't know how. I don't know how to trust you. I don't know how to love you. I don't know how to say yes to you. And he went, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> and he just has rolled it out in my life like an incredible carpet. And and he he's brought me to a place of contentment. We're married or unmarried, no matter what. It's beautiful. Because my life is hidden in Christ. Because the things that happen in my world that are physical, that's not the real life that's happening. Real life is happening in him and the roller coaster of the spirit. That's exciting. Getting married. <laughs> it doesn't matter anymore, you know? And that's that's just him. That's just him. I'm a really old unmarried person. (laughs) But it all changed for me. When God took me, you know that bit about marriage in Matthew 19? At the very end, he says, you know, that um, this apostle said to him, oh, well, isn't it better not to marry then if this is how it's going to be? And he said, he said, to those to whom it is given. It's not for everyone, but to those to whom it is given. And the single life is a gift. It's a gift for you to develop a relationship with him. And when you do that, if you do get married, you'll be a real gift to your marriage. (laughs) I think... um, and, and, and when we fully 
comprehend the purpose of a physical marriage, you know, um, then everything else aligns to that as well. So it's like, you know, we're called to be married to Christ. And the physical marriage is a means towards promoting you to that marriage. Um, so that's the ultimate purpose of marriage. Um, it's funny, I, 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 I find we're funny, aren't we, as humans? It's like the things that we want, you get, and then you go, did I really want this? <laughs> you know? I've thought exactly the same thing. Why me, Lord? Why me? I wasn't talking about you. It's talking about kids. <laughs> but isn't it, isn't it funny? The things that we, we, sometimes the things that we show, we can say, we so want this thing, and then you get it, and actually you go, why was I so, and that's where him being the center is so important, you know, because there will be times when you, I mean, like we just heard, and we laugh about it, but it's the truth. You go, man, it was so much easier, and that's what Paul's saying. It's easier. You don't have the concerns of this person, those people, and this, and this, and this, and it was easier. And yet there's nothing wrong with it. But wholeheartedness is the call. Thanks for sharing that. That was powerful. That was real powerful. Cool. Um, Greg, can you please define the difference between dating and dating? (laughs) Just for anyone who was a bit confused, but also... um, when, like in a in a early relationship, when do you think it is healthy for the male to lead the female, apart from being an example, like speaking into into life kind of thing? So yeah, it's kind of two questions. Um, okay, I'll attempt to answer the first one, um, <laughs> and then r- r- ask me the second one again. Um, once again, I mean, I think what Kirk said was Kirk and Mel's position. So they'd come to a point in their own life where they were like, we're not mucking about, this is our position, okay? So that's their position. That doesn't mean it has to be everyone's position, okay? Danny and I are an example of the opposite of that. Although I, myself, um, came to a point where I recognised that I needed to be wholeheartedly in this area. So as you heard, I come out of a marriage breakup, so I had a whole lot of hurt and a whole lot of pain. And for a period of time, I was trying to find that completion in relationships. And I was hurting myself, and hurt, but more, I was hurting other people. And he said to me, you'll never find what you're looking for until you're whole in me. And so I had two years being on my own with him. And I knew when I met her that I knew my, my heart was whole. Okay, So... We our, our journey's slightly different, and we, we did start seeing one another. But there was no intent that it was going to be like, oh, it's going to be marriage. It was to get to know one another, you know. Now, once again, you you do that in not in, in closed encounters. Do you know what I mean? So that's then, and that's where the wisdom and that's where the guidance is because it's about making wise choices. And so that's what I mean by dating. Is da- It's different for each person. What's right for some isn't right for others. And we can't put that on people and say, this is what it has to be because this is what it was for me. No, no, some people can actually be in a relationship, get to know and go, you know what, we are unequally yoked. You know, So 
once again, that's not everybody, but that's some. That and, and I, personally, I think that's fine. Now, once again, you don't want to. There are certain guidelines you don't want to cross, and they can be crossed. And that's why you know it's the whole. The law's easy. Love is hard. Rules are easy. Relationships hard. But life is found in the relationship. Life is never found in the rule. And so it's it's it's. If two people are open before him and others, then it gets outworked. But that doesn't mean that our way is going to be was your, yours and Jesse's way. Do you know what I mean? So I think that's what I'm trying to say. I don't, I don't mean I don't mean go out and go right. Here's all the girls at the rock. I'm going to try that one and that one. Figure out which one. No, I'm not saying that. Okay. Um, the second. Remind me of the second question. Um, when is it healthy for the male to lead the female? Apart from being being just an example to to the wife or to the girlfriend. Okay, so in the context of marriage, is that where you're really uh, speaking? Just in the context of leading her to Christ. I don't... In dating. In dating. Yeah. I, I don't know whether you really do. So... Apart girls, from being an influence. Yeah. Yeah, so... Until it, until um, we enter into that covenant together, um, it's more we're just brother and sister in cool. Him. And so through your influence and through your own wisdom, you can guide, you can encourage. But even that is then taken into marriage. So it's like, um, it's not like that. Let's see if I can get this right. Um, Danny and I, if I'm lording it over her, you must, you must, you must obey me. I don't believe that's Him. So I appeal to her, and my hope is as I love her unconditionally, she will want to submit. So, she, so through my love, submission comes. Too many men try and lord it over. I'm the boss. You will do as I say. And, and, and so even if the wife does, there's no true oneness formed. It's just I'm doing it because you're making me, you know. So, um, yeah, you know, and... and I think, once again, that's where if two people are whole in him, then there's this beautiful synergy of oneness, and it works. And it's, and it's love. It's not, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an honor to love, and I'd say it's an honor to submit, you know, and a privilege. Thank you. I'm aware of the time. It's 11.28. Do you want to do one more question, and then is anyone in a massive rush to get away? You can leave, but yeah. If if you need to go, go. Let's just let's make that because it's we're, we're half an hour out. Um, so if you need to go, feel free to go now. We'll just ask one more question and we'll wrap it. If there is another question, Kizzy. Uh, just anyone. Um, so I think because in the I guess. In the last couple of weeks that I've been coming back, I've just been hearing Greg talking about transparency. And so my question is, what does that look like in... What does transparency look like for like someone like me who's in a new relationship? So it's my girlfriend here. And how do I walk that out? But even if there are like anyone else in here who are thinking about it as well, like... 
what does transparency look like for me? Uh, for Mel and I, we were both walking very closely with Johnny and Bex um, before we got together, in the process of getting together, and then in the getting together, and then in the marriage, and then we ended up moving in with them when we were married, and then, <laughs> and then we inherited their jobs. So, <laughs> kind of super transparent. <laughs> um, and yet that was the most beautiful thing for us. Um, and I wouldn't have had it any other way that we could be open and transparent and ask questions and have interventions when needed and like, she's not listening to me, Johnny! <laughs> and, you know, like just being super open and yet just asking them f- questions and allowing them to speak openly and honestly into our relationship. And for them, I think for them it was... Um, freeing to be able to speak into our relationship knowing that we were actually wanting to know because they see our relationship and they saw they saw most of our relationship. They saw all of it. And so we, we wanted them to speak into our relationship and for them not to feel like they couldn't say stuff um, without breaking our relationship with them. Um, and that was the most beautiful position because... It's discipleship, right? It's not like, what do you think of our relationship? Oh, I don't think you should get married. We're not friends anymore. Do you know what I mean? And just leave that relationship because I want to hear someone else say, actually, you should get married. And, you know, so we had those conversations. And there was a point where Johnny was like, mate, you're not ready. I was like, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) mm-hmm. Then I go back to the next day. Are we ready now? (laughs) But actually knowing that that's not going to break my relationship with Johnny and Bex um, and allowing them to speak in and be open and honest, the transparency was awesome because I was such a noob. Didn't know what I was doing. Didn't, I knew how to do it wrong. I didn't know what it meant to do, have a relationship that was right in Christ, that was, that was working towards this beautiful relationship. And what we saw in Johnny and Bex's marriage we wanted. And so how best to get that is to get around them and understand and ask questions and allow them to speak into our relationship. And that's discipleship. And we have that in every single one of our discipleship groups during the week. And whether we're dating or whether we're married, it's not too late to get um, advice or to to have mentors, to have people speak into your relationship no matter where you're at. And so we're constantly doing that. <laughs> we're constantly going, how do you get that out of your relationship? How did you come to this point? And that's what, we're all supposed to be transparent. And the other side of transparency is vulnerability. If you're not vulnerable, then you can't be transparent. Um, or you'll be transparent to a degree. You go, you speak into my life to a point, and then you'll, you'll let them know when they've... They've got. They've reached their point. You go. Okay, stop now. <laughs> you know, don't don't tell me that. But actually, if you truly want full discipleship, if you want someone to speak into your life, then you've got to be ready to hear it and ready to hear the whole thing. And that's what walking together actually looks like. It's not a once a week thing. It's a let's walk together and let's hear it and take it with eagerness, receive it with eagerness, 
and take it before the Lord. Take it before others. Don't, but then the other side of that is you can then take, you can, you can go to 10 people throughout the week with the same thing and then leave still going, I'm going to do my own thing. Because you, I'm taking it before others. I'm seeking advice from others, but never actually receive any of it. It's just I'm venting to 10 different people. And 10 different people were sharing their wisdom into something. And yet you just wasted 10 people's time because you, you, you went in with your own decision made. And so vulnerability, uh, transparency, it's, it's the only way forward, really. Um, teachability, which is those things, you know, um, and I think, I think there's like when we, and this is more of a general comment, but it fits. But you know, this whole idea of really being family, and and you know, so often we we want to silo areas of our lives and go, you don't speak into that that's between me and this person or it's between me and the Lord, you know, and yet wholeheartedness is able to open up and go, none of my life is not ex- is not going to be open and teachable to those I'm walking with. Do you know what I mean? It's like there are no silos. It's like, oh, well, you can talk to me about this but not that. And so I think, and, and, and once again, this is on a macro scale. This is what God's trying to build. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a family where as we are truly family and love is covering, it's like what Steph was saying before, there's no fear in the heart because love covers and love uplifts. And so once we really are loving one another, we have the best for one another, and we all know that, then we're able to hear because we know the person's for us. So often it's like, you're against me. No, I'm for you. And because I'm for you, I come and share his version of what, has been revealed to me to you because I want to see Luke, as an example, become all Luke can be. You know? Um, so I hope that helps. I uh, No doubt there's probably 50 million more questions we've got and we'll continue to have. Um, yeah, we've, yeah, that's right. We've got two more coming up. Um, what are the dates again? Someone help me. July and October. Um, so... Just keep them. And once again, this is for us all um, because like Kirk was saying, this is a discipleship family. And so we can help one another and learn different things to help one another. It doesn't matter whether we're single, married, with parents or whatever. It's like because we're discipling one another, the more we can acquire, the more we can help, even though that may not be for us. It's for someone else in that context. So have an awesome afternoon. Um, There's notes to, to grab. Um, just on those scriptures so you can meditate on those. Um, See you tomorrow morning, tomorrow night, and have fun. Awesome.